communities that were built in the 90s plus are newer. Usually you're going to have seven per acre and you can get a full size home. You can get a single section. You can get a multi-section. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Skylar Lichty. How you doing, Skylar? Hey, I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure, and I'm glad you're doing great. A little bit about Skylar. He's the founding member of American Dream Communities, MH Park Advisors, and MHC Leads. He has been investing in and operating mobile home parks and manufactured housing communities for 20 years and is a third-generation MHC owner and operator based in Dallas, Texas. With that being said, Skylar, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. That's a great introduction for me. Remind me to pay you after the show for that. (laughs) Um, So like you said, I'm a third generation mobile home park owner and operator. It's interesting. We get to talk to a lot of new people coming into this space. And when I tell them a third generation, they're like, well, man, you've seen it all, haven't you? And what always surprises me is every day we find that we're learning something new in this space. So currently we're focused on properties in Texas and Oklahoma, Missouri and Kansas. That's kind of our sweet spot right now. A little bit about my background. When I got into this industry, I focused on the operation side of things. So that's really what's near and dear to my heart, how these communities operate, the best practices, how we take them from where they are to where we think they should be. Currently, we launched a couple of new business segments, so to speak. One of them, which I'm really excited about, is called MHC Leads. And the focus there really is, it came out of a need that we found for our own business, which was, hey, we're getting a lot of people to the site to look at new homes or pre-owned homes. How do we separate the guys and the gals that are wasting our on-site manager's time? And that's really what we build that platform to do. So it's been a real big benefit for us and it's helped us tremendously. But yeah, it continually amazes me to see that we're constantly learning new things, challenges that you you don't think about until you get in the thick of it. Well, let's talk about the operations side of the business since that's what you gravitate towards. Let's talk specifics about a recent transaction. Tell us about the transaction and what operational enhancements did you do in that transaction? Sure. 
So earlier this year, we bought a couple of communities up in the Tulsa, Oklahoma market. And most of the deals that we're buying are off market. So it's working with owners. And what we found with those deals was when we got into it, a lot of our best practices, such as extensive background checks on residents, knowing the people who are there, putting in those policies to do things like, hey, if there's a problem with the streets, we maybe need to go in and fix the streets or some of those general things that for us in the industry, we just take as, well, of course, everyone's going to do that because that's what you do. And a lot of times what we find is people who are in this asset class come from different real estate investments. Maybe it's single family homes. A lot of guys come out of the apartment industry and operationally, they just run different. So on those two communities, we purchased them. One of them was a pretty heavy lift, a big value add component. So we went in, we did about $400,000 of street work, repaid the streets, repaid the offsite streets. So we got the bones back to where they should look. Simple things like now the residents don't have to go get their alignment checked on their car every time they <laughs> drive down the streets. Those things we take for granted, right? Mm -hmm. So we did that piece of it. One of the things we learned early on in doing this is it's really good to rebrand the community when you buy it. So you go in and maybe it's called Tulsa Mobile Home Park. Right away, we're going to go in, we're going to rebrand it, we're going to reestablish it in the community. So any of the negativity with prior ownership, we kind of shed that off. And not all the time is there stigma, but it gives it really a fresh look at the community. So we started our rebranding. How do you then, That's a great question. So me and one of my partners, we just sit with a yellow pad and go through some names that we think sound really good. So this last one, we rebranded from a name of Mobile Haven. We rebranded it to El Dorado Village. So to us, it just really felt like it fit. So that's how we rebranded it. And then one of the things in our asset class that's very distinctive and different is we have huge barriers to entry, meaning you can't just go build a new mobile home park. Most cities that we deal with do not like mobile home parks. They have this stigma with them. So we kind of had that barrier to entry with new parks being developed, which we find very good. The other component that's interesting about this asset class is we have the availability to essentially buy our occupancy. That's a very interesting concept. What that means is this particular community, we did the street work, there were 40 physically vacant home sites. So we paid $0 for those home sites. We go out and we're buying brand new manufactured homes straight from the manufacturer. We install them. And then we are either leasing them or selling them, we're occupying them. So essentially what we've been doing on this project is we've been increasing the value through purchasing new homes, moving them in, taking advantage of that vacant lot. And actually what's interesting about that is if you have a community with a bunch of vacant spaces, it's actually costing you more money to have them vacant than occupied. And what I mean by that is someone's got to cut the grass. Someone's got to pick up the trash, those type of things. So when we get, a home there and a resident in, then some of our costs actually go down. So we have more efficient operations at the on-site level. So I'll tell you on that particular property, the biggest takeaway we got after closing is it, residents are happy with what we're doing. 
But we find that we've had to communicate a lot more with people, I believe, because the ownership that owned it for so long didn't communicate with the residents. They just kind of let the asset go, so to speak. So when we came in, we had to really do a good job explaining it's going to inconvenience you. You got to move your cars. We're going to have street work. We're going to be moving in homes, all those things. But at the end of the day, we've taken maybe a C plus asset. And when we're done with it, we're going to end up with a A minus type manufactured home community. So it's going to be a great place for all those people to live. How much did you buy it for? We had an MBA with the seller. So I would put it this way that we bought it for substantially less than it would cost us to develop it ground up. Got it. And you said you put in $400,000 worth of street work. Will you talk a little bit more about where that cost goes and what are the big chunks of that $400,000? And Because most people haven't put in $400,000 worth of street work. So the other difference about manufactured housing is when we buy a mobile home park, Nine times out of 10, the park actually owns all of the infrastructure. So we own the wastewater lines, the power meter boxes. We own the streets. So in this case, all those streets are owned and maintained by the community. So that's why when we say we put in $400,000, it was overlaying all of the streets. We redid most of the off-street parking. So again, just to get into that a little bit, typically when we look at a community, we want to make sure that it has paved streets. And if it does not have paved off-street parking, we'll actually go in and add that because to us, that's how a community normally looks. So that's what was so costly about it is we overlaid all of the streets. We redid probably 35 concrete off-street parking pads. So that's a two-car parking pad. So that's really where most of that money went to. Obviously, there was stuff like prepping the base and doing those things. But visually, the biggest bang we got for that is when you drive into it, people are like, oh, this is a community that's being turned around. Mm -hmm. This is a place people want to live. So for us, if you bring in a brand new home and let's say we're going to sell it, if someone's got to drive through streets that are all busted up and they got people on both sides that are just living in a way that's not conducive to maybe what we would want the community to look like, it's very hard to occupy that home. So on the front end, we go in, like I said, we rebrand, we do the street works. Some communities we buy perfect streets. We do no street works. Sometimes there's a lot of street work, like in this case. And then we start filling it in with the homes. And like I said, at the end of the day, the curb appeal is completely changed. And most of our residents are really happy with the change. And some of them aren't, and that's okay too. There's other mobile home community parks and markets they can move to if they don't like rules and regulations, such as you got to mow your yard, you got to pick up your trash, those type of simple things. Mm -hmm. Switching gears a little bit, tell us about a mobile home park deal where you lost money. Okay, so everyone's got those stories, right? The first deal that we acquired through kind of our equity raise arm was a deal in Missouri. And we got into the deal. The day of closing, we signed all the documents. The on-site manager said, hey guys, I own a couple of the homes in the community. We said, okay, well, that's fine. If you're going to rent them out and you're going to pay the site rent, no problem. And she said, well, actually, I own about 50% of the homes in this community. So we essentially had a partner that we didn't know about. So in that deal, we ended up 
buying all of those homes. So we ended up with a lot more community-owned homes than we originally thought, which is okay, but really what hurt us in that situation or complicated, should I say, is whenever we are making a home ready to release, someone's there, they move out, what our objective is is to try and make it as close to a new-ish home as possible. Not everyone has that philosophy. So when we got into these homes, we ended up spending a lot more equity than we had planned on. So we were spending the equity and it got to the point where as we were filling them up, we weren't making enough progress. And also one of the other things that we did, which was unusual, is when we closed on this, occasionally, again, I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, so bear with me on it. That's good. But usually mobile home parks, their water and the wastewater is city services. Just like your house you live at, you're going to have water from the city and your sewer is going to be through the city as well. Yep. Occasionally, you'll have communities that will have well water. They may have a lagoon system to kind of treat the wastewater, or you'll have a treatment plant. So in this particular deal, it had a commercial-grade treatment plant, and it had a commercial-grade well. The well was actually drilled down about 1,200 feet. So it was a pretty big operation. So when we bought it, that's fine. We dealt with similar type of things. But what we found out in the due diligence, which... We didn't realize how big of an issue it was going to be, is a prior owner had converted that into a public utility system. What that means is we became subject to the same restrictions that the local municipality is subject to. So we had EPA, we had all this and that, and it's very unusual to have that. So when you have that home thing that we didn't plan on, and you have the treatment plant that we were subject to the same restrictions that the city was, That was the deal. We ended up selling the utility company and selling the park, and we took a loss on the park. We did fine on the treatment plan, but that was the deal we took a lot on. And again, we learned a lot from that experience. One of the big things we learned is in our contract and our due diligence, now we don't just ask, hey, how many community-owned homes do you have? It's how many people in your community own more than one home? Uh, So we kind of caught that. So we're ahead of it on a move-forward basis. mm Mm-hmm. Is that deal one you've lost the most money on? That is the only deal we've lost money on. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. It's good. And like I said, it was our first deal. So we got a lot smarter about our structure. And what I mean by that is we had investors who that was the asset they were investing in. And they said, look, we know you guys own parks, but since this is a first equity raised park, so to speak, we're going to put in our money, no capital calls. If there's a problem, you guys got to take care of it. That was kind of the way we did it, which created some of those problems with, hey, if we need more equity to go out and buy new homes, well, how do we get that? Well, our investors aren't participating with it. So again, our structure has changed quite a bit. And I would say our, our biggest structural change happened November of last year. We shifted to more of an equity fund model. So investors get a lot more diversification with their dollars. So Rather than having one mobile home park, they're going to end up with five to six parks in that partnership. So you always end up with a big home run, maybe one that's just chugging along, doing about what it should, and then in between. In in that scenario, do you pay back the limited partners or is that just risk of doing business? So any equity deal, all of your equity is at risk all the time. But with that said, we ended up with, in our first deal, a lot of friends and family and things like that. So we took the lion's share of the loss. 
on it. Let's talk about the fund. So with the fund, what's the fee structure that you have on the fund? So the way that we do is pretty standard to, I think, what most people see if they go out to a private equity group or to a family office. We do a 70-30 split with our investors. So we take 30% of the upside and the investors get 70%. And then as far as fees, it's just normal fees. And what I mean by normal is if we buy a deal, there's an acquisition fee tied to it. We're doing all of the management. It varies. It's between 1% to 3%. What's it depend on? A lot of that depends on the deal itself. And what I mean by that is like our fund one, we pegged it at 3%. Some of the deals we are looking at require a lower fee structure just to kind of get that IRR number to work. Got it. Okay. So that's really what on the front end drives some of the fees. Like I said, we get a pretty standard management fee, what I would call standard management fee. There are companies that charge as high as 10% of gross revenue of a management fee. Our fees of all the deals we've done were 5 to 6% of the gross revenue. That's asset management or property management? That's both. Both, that's both. combined. We, we kind of lump them together, yeah. Right, because yep, you're self-managing. Right. Yep, that's right. Cool. So before you were doing individual deals that you were syndicating, correct? Correct. And now you have a fund. And the challenge that I've thought about, which is why we have not done a fund, but I'd love to get your thoughts because you are is the challenge of, okay, yes, investors, this is the type of deal that we're buying, but can't tell you exactly which one, please invest in this fund compared to if it's an individual one, here's all the details of this specific deal. So was that a challenge as you all went from individual investments to here's a fund to invest in? We didn't find that to be much of a challenge. And part of it was, when we made the decision to move to a fund, we had a few deals under contract. So it made a lot of sense for a launch point. So we could kind of show here's the first couple of deals that are going to go into the fund. So we could have that piece of the conversation. But as I'm sure you've experienced, we have investors that are happy with what's happened. So they move to the next deal and they move to the next deal. So part of it also is a level of confidence in what we can do to give you kind of the other side of the deal I can't disclose everything about this, but generally speaking, our second deal, so I told you the first deal where we lost money, the only deal we've lost money. The second deal that we bought and sold, we took the asset from 4 million to a little over 14 million in about a five-year period. Wow, how much you put into it? We find in mobile home parks, you got the same debt opportunities that you have in the other commercial real estate. So typically we're looking at 70 to 80% loan to value on the acquisition. So our equity position is going to be 20 to 30%. So as far as an IRR equity multiplier, it was about 30% each year. So again, we felt that was a home run deal but how, for, I, I, for our group. How much in terms of capital improvements? So you bought it for four, it appraised for what, 14 you said? You sold it for 14? Yeah, we sold how, about six years later. Okay. How much money did you put into it to improve it? Over the life of that, we bought about a million two of new homes. So we brought in new homes. Like I said, we kind of bought our occupancy, so to speak. We did maybe $150,000 worth of tree work 
mm-hmm. because again, you own all the land, you own all the trees that are on it. So we had a major tree work that we had to do a couple times through the project. So that was a big expense we put in. We did a lot of street work to that deal as well, probably in the 250,000 range. We also had some additional land in the project. So we developed out about 12%. So we increased the total number of home sites by about 12%. So we spent money on that development cost as well. Again, that was a big value generator for us as well. Did you get any pushback from local community members when you were developing the new home sites? Cities hate mobile home parks. Yeah, that's why I, I mean, asked. they really, really hate it. So what we find is every city is a little bit different and a little bit different meaning that the way they regulate mobile home parks isn't standard from city to city. So some of the communities we own, the city says, okay, you have 60 approved lots or you have 105 approved lots. And even if you had 15 extra acres, the most you can have is 105. Then we have some cities that go strictly by setback requirements, meaning how much space do you have between the home? How much space do you have between homes if they're back to back? And in that situation, they say, hey, as long as you're meeting setback, you can develop out the extra piece of it. As long as you meet what's called the density requirement, meaning some cities say you can have seven home sites per acre. Some cities say, well, this park's been here since 1952 and you can have 12 home sites per acre. So again, those are different variables in each deal. And again, when we're acquiring deals, something we'd like to keep an eye on because if you have a seven per acre requirement, that's typical of newer communities and not a lot of communities get built in today's market. So communities that were built in the 90s plus or newer, Usually you're going to have seven per acre and you can get a full size home. You can get a single section. You can get a multi-section. So if we're doing that, we know any type of home we buy fits there. If we go into a community that has 12 per acre, then you're really restricted on the sizing of homes you can buy, new homes. Real quick, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? It pays dividends to be patient and spend your time and in the due diligence to go through all the material you're given. We're gonna do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Ready. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com. What's one due diligence item that you pay particular attention to now? Environmental issues. Best ever book you've recently read? Extreme Ownership. Best ever deal you've done? Probably the deal I was referencing, kind of our home run deal. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? We spend a lot of money doing community events. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? They can go to our website, MH Park Advisors or MHC Leads. All my contact information is there. Skylar, thank you for being on the show. 
and talking about your experience in mobile home parks, talking about buying occupancy, basically forcing appreciation through your own means, which is such a great tool to have in any business. And you're able to do it with what you all are focused on. And then how the different components of the operations that you look to enhance whenever you go into a community. So thank you for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, bec20.com.